All right, guys, y'all show some love to the sponsors of the Straight Out of Prison podcast. Our friend Keely Brown runs her family-owned HVAC Home and Commercial Services. Is your system ready for the summer? Schedule a system checkup or reprogram your thermostat. They offer residential and commercial, at home or at work. They really do what they say, and they say what they do. Our family serving your family has been their core value since day one. Their founder and owner, Mr. Robert Holland, made sure the foundation of Home and Commercial Services was and is integrity. Now, remember, Haley, we, we catered an event last December where he was a part of the group that we were feeding. But it was interesting to learn that when he was a young man, when he first started in the HVAC business, Mr. Holland actually got in trouble with, for not adding new parts that the people didn't need. And they were like, why didn't you sell the parts? And he was like, because I could fix them. And they were like, no, no, you're... you're you're doing it wrong. Like you just got to put new parts. And he was like, but they didn't need new parts. And it bugged him so much that he went out and started his own business. And that's the foundation of home and commercial services. And we can attest to that personally. I mean, they've done so much stuff for us. It's crazy. I love that story. And I think it speaks to obviously his integrity and what he's built his business on that integrity. Right now, the most economical service they offer is their annual residential service agreement. For $150, you'll get two annual checkups, and that's for one system. If if it's an additional system, it's 25% off. Anyways, the annual contract includes priority service, normal rates for after-hour service, 10% discount on any repairs, and a 5% discount on any new installations. It's a good deal especially with the heat of the summer coming. Home and Commercial Services works on all name brands of heating and air conditioning units, gas furnaces, heat pumps, walk-in coolers, and smart thermostats. No job is too big or too small. Call or text Keely at 205-798-0635. Or you can email at office at Holland hcs.com you can look up holland home and commercial services on instagram for daily tips and more or you can check out their website hollandhcs.com we have some amazing friends and supporters of the podcast Lynn and Debbie Hurst, who own Hurst Towing and Recovery in Fultondale and Hayden, Alabama. They serve the Jefferson, Blunt, and surrounding counties. They tow light and heavy-duty vehicles, and they're always there to help. We wouldn't call anybody else. We would never call anybody else, and that's a fact. Would you like to work for an amazing company that treats their employees like family? The Hearst are hiring. Full and part-time positions. Give them a call today. Hearst Towing is there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They've been in our area since January of 1987. They have a heart to serve and they love making an impact in the communities they grew up in. The Hearst definitely make a difference in our world. And they have definitely made a difference in our lives. Dispatchers are always ready to receive calls at 205-631-8697. That is 205-631-TOWS, T-O-W-S. <laughs> you, get, you get me every time I, with the toes. <laughs> <laughs> or check out their website at hearsttowing.com. Now, y'all know James from the podcast, but he also is an amazing cook and private chef. I can attest to that personally. I've had many years of experience in food, just working in, managing, and even owning a couple restaurants. One of his greatest passions is preparing delicious food. You know, if somebody's going through something or through a hard time and you don't know what to do, you can always cook for them. Or you can always call me and I'll cook for them. It's, it really, it's a it's a great way to love people. That journey started early in his beloved granny's kitchen. She was the one that, you know, was always cooking breakfast, lunch, and dinner. She was a Southern belle. She made everything taste good, and I didn't always, sorry, Mom, get that at home. <laughs> but uh, granny taught me how to cook, and 
I've never looked back from that. James is a Fox 6 Good Day Alabama monthly contributor. It's one of the honors of my life. I love cooking on TV. I love hearing the feedback. I love going in there and having people email me and ask questions. It's just, it's fun. And his peanut butter cobbler recipe was featured on the Food Network show Carnival Eats. That was kind of a big deal. I mean, it was a... I don't like I got paid for it, but it was a lot of exposure and it was really fun. Head over to chefjameskjones.com to join our email list. Once you do that, you can stay updated on everything that we're doing. CrossFit Mophobia is owned and operated by Hayden Setzer. Hayden has a degree in exercise science and wellness with a minor in coaching. She is CrossFit Level 2 certified and Precision Nutrition Certified. CrossFit Mophobia is located at 222 Decatur Highway in Gardendale, Alabama. Email CrossFitMophobiaInfo at gmail.com or call or text 256-303-1873. Or you can look up everything she does on Facebook and Instagram. CrossFit Mophobia. Well, hey guys, Team Jones coming at you. Summer is winding down and we are super excited about the classes we're offering this fall. Head over to ChefJamesKJones.com and check out the classes and events. And we'll also put that in the show notes. Also, James's YouTube channel is diversified. We've added the first two seasons of the Straight Out of Prison podcast and it has opened us up to a totally new audience. Look up Chef James K. Jones on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button. It's totally free. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you never miss a recipe. Or a podcast. <laughs> also, Team Jones Coaching. I am a certified life coach and business coach and am accepting a few new clients for the fall. I would love to sit down and work with you one-on-one. DM me or email me at Haley at teamjones.co for more information. Thank you for your support and thanks for being a part of our story. Thanks for tuning in to the Straight Out of Prison podcast. My name is James K. Jones, and this is my story. And this is Haley Jones, and this is his story that has now become a part of my story. All right. uh, I want to start this one off because we're putting the podcast up on YouTube because for some strange reason, there are people that listen to podcasts on YouTube, so I'm putting them a few episodes at a time up on my YouTube channel just to see if that's a... I guess a platform that we want to see if it'll work. Mm-hmm. But in going back through that, in season one, episode one, you you were kind of leading the conversation like, so what happened? <laughs> so now that my story and your story have come together, I'm going to start this one off the same way. So Haley, you're married now. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> so... Night one of the honeymoon, because that's where we're starting, right? Yeah. So night one of the honeymoon, we got this hotel room. It was more than a hotel room. It yeah, it was more like a suite, an apartment, yeah. I would say. It was honestly. It was bigger than our house. So it was in the Destin. <laughs> San Destin. San Destin, yeah. yeah. What's that area called? Where we got it. It was like the Baytown Wharf. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So in Baytown Wharf, we just stayed there. Was it one night or two? I can't remember. Two nights. Two nights, just because it was kind of close. And I don't remember why we did that. 
It was your your mom got us a week at Seaside, but the cottage that we had wasn't available yet. Right. And so she wanted us to start off in there. Baytown Orb. Yeah, I was just kind of like an in-between place. And it was like a full-service hotel where they took care of you and all that stuff. She just said that would be good for the first couple of nights. And that was a huge gift because, you know... I couldn't afford nothing like that. I never would have imagined I would even got to do something like that. So it was pretty cool. So I have to say, though, I've had several people that I know get married since we've been married. And I always give them this advice, especially if like they've already bought a house together or something. They're like, oh, we're just going to go back to, you know, the house the night after the wedding. Yeah, don't. I'm like, don't do that. Don't do There's that. only like one time that it's going to be that. I always say that too, don't. So um, anyway, so we got this hotel and, well, I mean, is this an awkward conversation? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we got. Because uh, we're talking about, you know, obviously our sex. Fir- our first mm. night together. Yeah. <laughs> because we were not intimate in that way before no, we'd never, we got married. I think we spent the night in separate beds in a hotel one time but we'd never been overnight together yeah so that's true we never even been overnight together Uh -uh. coming off a wedding like that but i actually steve actually gave me some really good advice before we went on our honeymoon he said remember the first time you're not at your best so (laughs) you're not at your best just go ahead and accept that every time after that will be better And I was like... (laughs) That is very good advice, though. I mean, it helped me. Yeah. I had to learn this to learn myself, you know, become self-aware. Like these commercials where they tell you, oh, if you don't use this product, you're nasty. Um, what what are you talking about? Like deodorant or like there's certain kind of cleaners like you put on your face or uh, oh. certain kind of they deodorants. say you're nasty. Well, they don't say that, but that's the underlying. There was a like the, the infomercials they used to do. I think yeah. they still do them. I don't watch them anymore. But there was one on like some kind of vitamin you took that will clean out your colon. And they just made you feel like you had to do it or you were just not clean. <laughs> but your colon had to be clean. That's where you and I are different. Which is nonsense. It's like, I'm fine if my colon is not clean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, like, the that, colon uh, is not supposed to be earwax, clean. Earwax, I bought one of those things where you turn your head over and you burn the earwax and put it down on your head and pull it out. I remember when I... I don't want to get into that dating, but before, like, dating somebody, they say, you didn't ask me. I said, I asked myself, and I decided what I wanted to do, and that's what I did. That is such a James K. Dunn answer. I asked myself, and then I answered myself, I remember that. Steven, uh, when we started Cairo something about you didn't consult with me, and I was like, I consulted with myself. I mean... I didn't need to consult with you. I mean, if I want your opinion out, but that's part of that is immaturity. So, well, yeah, and it sounds a little prickish. Yeah, Uh, but it is what it is. But it is understand. I mean, truly, though, when you look at like your background and your childhood and just all the things, I mean, it really does. I understand it. It makes sense that you. It's just like like you said. I've got to take care of me. I got to work this, work it out, and figure it out. And well, if you do something for so long, you get your condition to it right so like um so but another thing that was fresh <laughs> at that time or more fresh not that was hilarious to me though you, you thought the Karina was gonna show up I was like well I mean I don't know I just <laughs> no she won't don't even unknowns of everything ain't no way <clears throat> so yeah it's funny but it's just it's 
And this was like the week after we came home. And I was like, who's John? And she was like, I'm sorry. And I said, I'm, my name is James. I am a redneck American. <laughs> <laughs> and Hobie, with his dry sense of humor, was like, and I'm so thankful for you. <laughs> so thankful. Okay, so let us let me just like bring everyone then, up to speed. But then case. I that I started, there were like pictures of him in your dad's office. And oh, yeah. I was like, oh, no, we got to cleanse. We got to do a cleansing. <laughs> <laughs> Loaded up on drugs. <laughs> and, and well, and you also started going through my computer, which I was like, I don't share a computer. Okay, define that me going through your computer. Like I had a desktop at that time. Yeah. In the little laundry room office, and you started using it and opening up windows and uh, <laughs> not closing up all on. the windows. Yeah. Um, but you found pictures of me and my ex girlfriend. I do. See, I'd forgotten about that. You're right. But you wanted me to do a cleansing of my. I life. did. I wanted the full cleanse. You, she, you said uh, not the full cleanse. You said I just. I, I said I keep pictures because it happened, and you said, "Well, I don't want my kids when we have so having kids to see pictures of you with another girl. I just don't." And, and I, wonder if it was their mom when I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> when you're dead, I thought that. Well, because one like when you're dead. I feel like we look similar enough, like blonde hair and. They'd be like, was that mom? <laughs> I, like, that's what I envision them asking, like. <laughs> Max security. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was uh, Donaldson in Alabama. Okay, so that wasn't a federal prison. No, uh-uh. Okay. Federal prisons are actually nice. They eat steak and play volleyball. And <laughs> they Why? Got oh, is that because it's like white-collar crime people? Well, there's some of them. Yeah, there's one in Alabama that's uh, Maxwell Air Force Base where it doesn't even have a fence around it. Just they know if you cross over that line, you're gonna get shot. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, they're not all white collar. There's, you know, rough federal prisons, but they're better because they feed you and there's more to do and all of them. You know, all right. But so we travel over there. <laughs> And we had a fun weekend, you know, family, people, everybody's there hanging out. Um, but you have been dropping me hints that I did not know were hints for me. Was you said that in your family, on every birthday, you always got breakfast in bed and you celebrated the day that you were born and it was this big thing and it was always, uh, you even said one year my mom couldn't be there, so my dad came and threw a box of cereal on my bed. <laughs> no. And they were more than the hints. It was more like telling you, this is me. how birthdays go down. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned. Always, At, no matter what, we get breakfast in bed. <laughs> well, you said y'all did that. That's what y'all did. Right. Which <laughs> now you're married to part of y'all. So. Yeah, but I didn't, I, number one, I didn't pick up on all that because <laughs> I don't we, know never, how. we never did any of that. I mean, I don't even think I had a birthday party after I was like 10. I mean, we never did. Which is so sad. But anyway, oh, that's another. <laughs> but, <laughs> that's another. I mean, but I always, you know, just give me the money. That's my thing. I want the money. You're still like that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not. <laughs> no, you're not. Now I want gift cards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so birthdays were always a big deal. I mean, we yeah. like did them up for all of us in our family. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I felt like I had, I felt like I had prepared you to be successful for my first birthday. Yes. And this is what <laughs> happened from my perspective. We were at my aunt's house. We weren't at home. And I thought, I did have a fleeting thought. I think she might want me to do that. Maybe not. I mean, you didn't never say, I want you to do this. But my 
ending thought was, surely she doesn't want me to do that at somebody else's house. I mean... Um, that makes it even more special. <laughs> that makes it even more exciting to do it at someone's house. So, so here's how the morning went down. <laughs> we slept in a little bit, woke up, and I got up, and I went downstairs, and I was actually making you a card and doing mm, all these things. No, 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 no. Oh, yes. This is not how this went down. Yes, it is. Okay, continue. Because you stayed in the bed, and I kept saying, why is she sleeping so late? And you just kept not getting up. <laughs> okay, hold on. Yes. Okay. This is right. So then, I, yeah, I was laying in bed waiting and waiting and waiting. And I didn't know for you to come to the bed with the breakfast because <laughs> it was my actual birthday and you never came. And then finally, I think after over an hour, I came and more, checked on you. You're like, is everything okay? And you jumped out of bed. You were mad. And I never really saw I you was mad. mad. And I didn't understand why. And you said, <laughs> I'm going for a walk. Yeah, I remember that. I was putting on my tennis shoes. I was and like, you just stomped off down the cul-de-sac. Yes, I did. <laughs> and I, but I, I was still confused about what's, I don't understand what's happening. Because I don't think up to that point, I might have seen you frustrated, but I'd never seen you like mad. <laughs> like you were mad. You were mad at me. I was mad because I felt like. You knew. How could you not know? I, I was so clear. I, I, I did not. This, this is a typical of where, you know, the man versus woman thing, I think. Yeah. Where the guys, if y'all haven't seen the video on YouTube or wherever it is, a guy's trying to tell the girl that there's a nail in her head. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Well, maybe it's not like that. Maybe not. Let me scratch that. But the point is, is that I felt like I had been very, very clear. Yeah. And, and I apparently it wasn't clear enough. I didn't pick up on it. <laughs> I, I really didn't. If I would have thought that it was going to create such reaction, I would have did something. Yeah, I know. Actually, but, I do uh, believe that. But at the time, it was <laughs> But then I kind of felt disheartening. Because then you told me that what you're upset about, and I was like, well, how am I supposed to know? Like, How am I supposed to know that? I didn't know that you wanted me to do all that. And at somebody else's house, I don't understand. And then I'd made you this card, spent like an hour and a half making a card, and I had to look gifts, and it was like, it was meaningless. It's not good enough. So, it's because you skipped over the first step. I didn't know. But here's the deal. I learned. Yeah. <laughs> when we went to the one where they told us the sex. Uh-huh. Yeah, so then we went, you know, after the heartbeat, of course, we went for the, whenever the appointment was that we find out it was a boy or girl, and we found out it was a girl. Well, she said, it's a girl. And I said, my heart just sank. And I My said, heart sank too, but only because I felt like I knew how disappointed you were going to be. Well, I said, hey, um, can you do that again? <laughs> And she looked a little annoyed, but she put the thing back down. She's a really sweet lady. Mm -hmm. Um, She put the thing back down, did it again, and she said, it's a girl. And so I was like, she don't don't have the final say in that. So (laughs) however long it took us to get back to the where the doctor came in, when he came in, I said, how long has the lady been doing the ultrasounds in there telling you the sex of your baby? And he said, oh, about 18 years. And I said, has she ever made a mistake? He said, not in 18 years. <laughs> and I said, but she could make a mistake. Yeah. And he said, James, come over here. Let me show you something. And he pulled up his little iPad with the picture of Lula. Mm-hmm. And he said, this is your daughter's labia. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully this will be the last picture that ever gets snapped of it. <laughs> but you're having a girl. <laughs> and I was just like, just, uh, just defeated. And I... 
she hung up on us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she said, why are you naming that baby after Aunt May? And she hung up on us. We'll be right back. Head over to our YouTube channel for recipes, podcasts, and now we're even live streaming stuff to give you guys real glimpses into our daily lives. Yikes. You'll also be able to see the podcast behind the scenes and unedited live streams. We've added the first five seasons of the Straight Out of Prison podcast, and even if you've listened to all of them, check out the video format to see pictures, behind the scenes, and a whole lot more. And while you're there, please hit the subscribe button. It won't cost you anything, but it does help us reach our goals to reach a larger audience. Look up Chef James K. Jones on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button so you never miss a recipe or a podcast. For exclusive content, download the Patreon app and look up Team Jones Media. You'll find many levels of subscriptions, but all levels have one feature. You'll get early access to all of our podcast platforms and they're completely free from ads. Thank you, thank you, thank you guys for all your support, all your encouragement, and thank you for being a part of our story. See, and I'm not really used to that kind of behavior, honestly. Yeah, it was... So I was like... Is she okay? Like, what, did she get in an accident? What like, just I happened? didn't understand it. So yeah. she was against the name. Because I was like, how could she be upset over what we're, I mean, it was just weird. Well, it was touching on something that I didn't even know existed. Yeah. She had a great aunt that lived across the street from them that I knew when I was growing up as Aunt May. And she was a little ornery, mean, never had kids. Um, she was like in her 80s or 90s when I was a kid. Right. But apparently there was some baggage between... Uh, my mom and her brothers and sisters and Aunt May across the street. Because, uh-huh. you know, they had been abandoned by their parents and right. then their grandparents raised them. So it's just a lot. You know how that stuff happens in families. So mama said that Aunt May's name was Lula May. And I said, no, it wasn't. And she said, her name was Lula May Grimes. Lula May Whitaker. Then she got married and turned into Lula May Grimes. And I said, Mama, I've seen Aunt May's gravestone. It says May Grimes. And to stop the argument, I called my great aunt, Barbara, in Phoenix City. And I said, tell me what Aunt May's full name was. And she said, Lula May. And I was like, oh, my gosh. That's crazy. How did this happen? And I told her we were naming Lula May. And she was like, your big daddy, which was her daddy. He would be so proud of your naming your baby after Aunt May. So I said, we're not naming her after Aunt May. <laughs> we're not. We're naming her after Lula is Haley's great-grandmother. May is Sarah May and Gladys May Whitaker, my grandparents. And But for months and months and months, there was just conflict with my mom over the name. And she, it just kept being this thing that I was naming her after Aunt May. And I was like, I didn't even like Aunt May. Why yeah. would I give my child... Yeah. Which was pretty cool. Oh, to be newlyweds and pregnant with your first <laughs> child. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I did any of that when you're pregnant with the boys, but it's just, it's so exciting. Like, it is. It starting is Starting a new life, a new chapter, a new everything. It's just humorous when you look back, you know, and you think how simple and naive, yeah. I mean, and beautiful, yes, but, yeah. you know, it's good to remember that because sometimes I can get kind of cynical and like, oh, you people, just, <laughs> just you get ready, okay? <laughs> you don't even know yeah. <laughs> what's coming. But uh 
during that time, everything was a first for us because we only dated for five months. You know, early in our marriage, you had your first birthday. I had my first birthday. But then we had our first Fourth of July. We had our first Labor Day. We had our first Thanksgiving. And not our first Christmas, but as a married couple, our first Christmas. Yeah. So, do you remember any of those times? Okay, so here's what I remember. I believe, at least for me and us, our experience... And I think that this is probably true on some level for everyone, no matter how you slice it. It is hard (laughs) when you get married and have to, like, figure out holidays. Yeah. And I feel like for us it was relatively simple because, you know, there's no divorce. It was just my mom. My dad's passed away. Yeah. So we have only, like, we go one place. That's it. Yeah. And then, like, your family. But what I'm talking about is the siblings and their Spouses uh-huh. and that whole dynamic, which sometimes can what be happened with that? I don't remember. Rough. I don't remember that. Well, okay, so I think it's just there was nothing per se like big drama. Yeah, but I think just the figuring out. I don't know, just like understanding the d- dynamics. I mean, there was some. Well, pause for a second because when I asked, when I went to ask your mom that I was going to ask you to marry me. There was a flutter among your siblings about what are y'all going to do about holidays? And so I said, I'm going to do whatever Haley wants to do because, you know, my grandmother's gone on both sides. I don't really spend holidays with a lot of my family. But if we do it here, my mom's got to be able to come here with me. So, right, which, is, I mean, that was a given to me, of course. So it was easy to say, you know, we're just going to do holidays with your family. But then, you know, mom, you come with us. Right. <laughs> kind of deal. So Thanksgiving was easy, I thought. So what did you do at Thanksgiving before we got married? I would... It's uh making me think of that. <laughs> well, the Thanksgiving before we were married, my granny was still alive. It was her last Thanksgiving. Oh, wow. Okay. So I always did Thanksgiving with either them or my Phoenix City family. Uh-huh. But after my mom left down there in the beginning of 2013, I told my cousin Lisa... I don't know if I ever come back to Phoenix City. I know. I remember that. I remember you would go to Phoenix City every Christmas, but that last yeah. one you said it was That's my last time. one. I'm done with that. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't like I was divorcing my family. It's just like, we're adults now. It's time to move on. Yeah. And the people that mattered that held us together like that were not there anymore. But then at the end of the day, shout out to all you nurses out there. Oh, yes. I found out that it was not the doctor that hangs out with you and does all the work. It's the nurse. Like that one girl, she stayed with us for 12 hours. Mm-hmm. And to me, she was the one that delivered the baby. Oh, for sure. No <laughs> doubt. Yes. She did all the things. But uh, in the beginning, I thought, you know, I'm ready. I'm uh, here for Haley. I'm here for you, girl. And then <laughs> when you start having contractions and screaming and hollering, uh, it scared me. Like, I didn't know <laughs> I didn't know how to help you. Uh, then you started pulling at your hair, and it was uh, started about 9 o'clock in the morning, and it went on like that till after lunch, um, just watching you sit there and scream and holler. And I think the thing that I appreciated the most about it was you kept calling for Jesus. So I was like, well, <laughs> at least she's calling for Jesus. <laughs> because I heard stories. My, my dad told me when my mom was giving birth to me, she cussed him out and scratched his face. Oh, my gosh. And uh, she had a long, all-day kind of birth. But... Uh, yeah. But then right before she was born... I wasn't expecting to see blood. There was like blood and fluids and stuff. And I was like... I think you just had no idea what to... No, I almost passed out over that. (laughs) And then I said, 
you just asked me something. I said, baby, it looks like a car wreck down here. <laughs> <laughs> Abby was like, James, you know, you don't say stuff like that. And I, I didn't know. I mean, it did. And look he's like told a- several people that since <laughs> when we tell Dude. the story. You say that, and I've told you to stop telling people that. Oh, what and now we're saying it on a podcast. So, <laughs> well, here we are. Here we are. Um, but anyway, yeah. So, but after he told you that he was going to cut you, he did say cut. Yeah, I remember that clearly. Think, yeah. Because then they brought you the mirror and you had Lou out in 15 minutes. But mom said that she saw, she said, I know in Haley's eyes when she's, things are about to happen. <laughs> things are about to, <laughs> just that look of determination in your eyes. And mom said, I saw that look when you heard him say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Honestly, I wasn't really paying attention to the nurses. I was just trying to see my baby. Mm-hmm. And um, I was talking to her, and she opened her eyes and was, like, looking for my voice. And her eyes locked on mine, and her eyes seemed to say, oh, there you are. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like, I can't even tell you. It was like, <laughs> you got me forever. <laughs> but I believe it was because when she was... Uh, in your stomach, I talked to her all the time and prayed to her, prayed with her and read her stories and told her stuff that she recognized my voice, mm-hmm. which almost had like a spiritual thing for me is, you know, like we can't see Jesus, but we can learn to hear his voice. And I don't know. It was just, it was just, it was amazing. And then everybody was carrying on and doing all things. My mom doing all her stuff. And you were like, Hey, Hey, somebody bring me my baby. <laughs> so it's my baby. From my, from my standpoint, I was it's like everybody left you. and like drained in a way that I probably had never been and have not been since, honestly. Yeah. And um and so when, you know, she came out, mm-hmm. they put her on my chest for a second. Yeah. And then, if, you know, they took her to do all the things that they do yeah. and put her in the little bed thing across the room. And everybody, I, re- everybody I remember everybody was around the whole, like, and like doing what you were saying, you know, yeah. going crazy. And um, I, re- I remember laying there and I was just like, Okay, so I'm done now. My job is done. Like, where'd everybody go? (laughs) And then I finally fell asleep, and I thought I was going to get to sleep, and I woke up to the nurse screaming bloody murder. Do you remember that? Was that that first night? It was was only there one night. Yeah. So the nurse was screaming at me, and, Mr. James, Mr. James, Mr. James. (laughs) And so I get in there, and she's trying to hold you up, and you're like, in some kind of situation in the bathroom. But she told me, she said, I'm going to lose my job because she's not supposed to be out of bed. And she talked me into letting her. And I was like, this is life with Haley. (laughs) She talked you into it. I don't remember what it was, but... You weren't supposed to get out of the bed. I wasn't supposed to get out of the bed. And she told me that, that she needed to do this and that. And I said... Well, I'm pretty sure I can do it. <laughs> and, she, and she was like, well, I know you probably can, but we're not supposed to. And I was like, look at me. Look at me. And yeah. I, showed her my, I was like, I can do this. Let me just walk over there. Be with me the whole time. And yeah, I basically talked her into. But then what happened? Your legs caved in or and something? And then when I got in there, I started feeling like I was going to pass out. Okay. And I was like... But finally, we figured it out, and we got her hooked in, 
<laughs> and if you're familiar with Birmingham, uh, St. Vincent's Hospital is right off of Highway 31, Red Mountain Expressway. And that's the obvious way to go home. You know, get on the highway, go home. And we pulled out of there, and we got on Red Mountain Expressway, and I saw the cars zooming by. And I was like, I looked at you, and I was like, we can't be on the highway with our baby. (laughs) (laughs) So I immediately got off the exit and was like, we'll just take the long way home. I do remember thinking, like, these cars are Going crazy. so fast. <laughs> Why are they such so such crazy drivers out going 100 miles an hour? So, of course, it was like any other day, but it yeah. felt like that for us. It was just different for us. So, <laughs> yeah. But we immediately, I got off the highway. We got on Highway 31, and we just drove the long way home. 35 miles an hour, <laughs> all the like way home. We were back in President Eisenhower days in the 50s <laughs> out for a long ride. That lo and behold, what I was getting to, yeah, was it the third week or the second week of it? It was about day thirteen. Day third, okay, day third. <laughs> Could you be more specific, please? Well, I looked up my notes. Okay, so day thirteen of two hundred days of prayer, a gal, a friend named Leslie Freeman, who at the time was the COO. She was the director of operations for okay. the foundry. Director of operations at the foundry mm-hmm. and reached out to James and said, I know you're probably not interested, but I just thought on a whim, just in case I'd mention it, that we're looking for a food service director. Well, she actually said, she sent me a Facebook message. She said, I know you don't want this job, but I keep feeling, I keep getting a check. I feel like I'm supposed to run it by you. And I said, no, I don't want that job. <laughs> But then five minutes later, I jumped back on and I said, I don't know. Let me talk to my wife. Let us pray about it and we'll see. And it was the answer to our prayer. It was. Um, but for me, it was just so hard to go back to work for somebody else. But by this time, I'd had Kairos for like 10 years. And then the previous seven years, I worked for Mr. Falletta. And when I was with Leonardo's, it was, I mean, I worked for him. It was his business, but I was my own boss, basically. And I was the whole time I had Cairo. So it was like all these, I guess, emotions and fear. Like, you know, do I really want to go back after everything I've been through, go back to working for somebody, working for, you know, the man, clocking in, clocking out, doing all that stuff? Well, to me, it was just very clear and obvious that that was the answer to our prayer. So let me just like say that this job would be a full-time job, you know, with benefits, with like a, you know, consistent, steady income. Income. So it really was just like, I mean, it felt like a weight lifted off, like this is it. Catering thing or rest, whatever you want to do. But I think it's time for me to, like the daddy on Sweet Home Alabama told his daughter, it's hard to ride two horses with one ass, baby. (laughs) 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 Which is true. I actually had that thought when we were in that meeting. But uh, I did. I left there and... I remember Leslie Freeman was like, the fighter in me just wants to fight and just win and just keep going. And I just said, I feel like, honestly, I was writing my journal this morning, I feel like Kairos is a dead horse, and I need to just let the dead horse stay dead. Because you only got one ass. Yeah. (laughs) But no, but dead things need to be buried, right? Yeah. There's no reason to keep keep trying with it. When you put it that way. But the offer for them to do that was humongous. I mean, it was very meaningful. And it shows the heart of Pastor Bill and just his 
what he started there, which honestly is unbelievable. Incredible, yeah. But I made I made the decision. Once I made the decision, there was no turning back. Shared with you or with anybody else at that time, but I would have these like moments of insecurity and just like, mm-hmm. what have I done with my life? You know, I've wasted all these years. And the only real bright spot for that was me was obviously with you. You were my wife, and we were still, you know, I'd only been married a year. Not even two years yet. And Lula May, when I could look at her, it'd be like, you know, whatever I need to do, I'll do it for this baby and my family. And um, But it was still tough. But I remember almost being offended, well, actually being offended when, because you were just stuck in that headspace, it's all for nothing, all for nothing. And I remember thinking like... That's how it felt. It's not for nothing. Hello, look at me. (laughs) Hello. But a problem that I had at the foundry was they had a staff that had been there like forever and they didn't want to do anything different. So this is just how we do it. This is what we're going to do. And you have somebody like me come in. It's like, no, we're going to do everything different. Right. So I came to a place where I had to let some people go or help them retire, however you want to say that nicely. But they just didn't fit what we were trying to do. And I needed to hire a full-time person to be kind of like my assistant. Didn't really have any um, any leads or any potentials of anybody I was looking for. I remember uh, Leslie said, you know, why don't you hire Brandon? You can hire Brandon. You know, I'm sure we can get him through pretty fast. So I said, no, you know, Brandon has always been with me. He's a great worker. He is, you know, he's all in. But I don't see him fitting into like a ministry. Like he goes to work and make money. He's 18 years old. And I just didn't think that would be a good fit. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And I think too, like he had been with you for so long and you know we had been through that struggle with all that stuff (laughs) and you can just feel when it's just weariness you know like we were weary and he was weary and there was a comfort level there yeah that it's like almost like you know we just need to do a new thing having nothing to do with so i set up an appointment with this guy he didn't come he didn't show up so i called mike and he said, oh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get him down there. So basically, Gilbert. Why didn't he show up? He didn't want to work there. So he, he just didn't come? Uh-uh. Well, he didn't ask to come. It was like okay. Mike was like, oh, nudging okay. him, trying to, you know, kind of like, you know, some women might do for their husband, like make him an appointment or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, most men are going to be like, no, nah, I'm not. Yeah. So he didn't want to come. But finally, Mike Farrell just kind of nudged him and said, just go talk to James. That's all. You know, you got to. You going down there and talking to him is not going to mean you have to take the job. So he didn't want to work in the kitchen because he didn't have any experience. He didn't understand any of that stuff. Immediately when he sat down in front of me, now this was a guy that is older than my my parents. Mm-hmm. So he could have been a parent, maybe a grandparent. No, not a grandparent. <laughs> so anyways, he was 20, 30 years older than me. Yeah. And I just asked him about his story. You know, I've been to prison, so I know how to talk to people that's been to prison. So basically, he got in trouble when he was a teenager, and he had been in and out of prison for 32 years. And every time he got out of prison, he would go back to doing the same thing. You know, he would rob banks and drugs and, you know, girls and all stuff. This time when he got out, when he got to his sister's house, she said, I love you, but you can't stay here. You know, you got to do something different. You need to get in a program. You need to do something different for yourself. Like, we can't keep doing the same cycle Mm -hmm. over and over. So he found out about the foundry through 
I don't know how he found out about the foundry. But anyways, he tried to get in the foundry. They didn't have any open spaces. And then he had pretty much made up his mind. He was just going to leave and go do what everyone do. Just be a renegade, a criminal, you know, yeah. run, run off, do all the things. And he got a call that they had an opening. And they brought him in. And, you know, he went through their little program. And somehow during the course of the six months he was doing that, he got introduced to Mark Winslet, who is the head of the counseling department at the foundry like he um it's basically the leader of all the counselors there's about 13 counselors over all the different campuses and he taught a class called a discipleship class mark did mark winslet okay yeah which seemed exhausting to me because it was like a 36 week class i mean Mm -hmm. it was just a lot and it was like two or three hours at a time but it was every wednesday night and gilbert felt like he wanted to go because he didn't understand the bible and basically he was just walking people through how to read the bible uh you know, lens, different good yeah. stuff, but it just seemed to me like that's well, that's a lot. <laughs> but for Gilbert, it was what he needed to get understanding that he needed. And somewhere during that process, he had an experience with Jesus, and it was real and it was uh, amazing. And I didn't really couldn't sitting across from him listening to his story and some of the crimes he committed, some of the things he'd been through. It just didn't make any sense. But at the same time. It reminded me of my story, even though I was much younger when I had that experience, was just like his whole life was just flipped. You know, Mm -hmm. he didn't care about the things he used to care about. He wanted to do some type of helping guys coming out of prison. So I explained to him, you know, what we get to do here, we'll have these guys with us, you know, 40 plus hours a week. Even though we've got to like do the meals and cook and I need people to help me with all that stuff, I don't need you to know how to cook. I just need you to know how to help me with managing the people. Mm -hmm. So... He got excited about that by the end of that little meeting. I think we talked for like two hours. Um, he was ready to come work with me. Yeah. And there was a part of me that still wasn't sure about him, you know, if that was going to work out. But then there was another part of me that was just really excited. Like this was some kind of neat new relationship. And it, it did end up being that, but I didn't, couldn't really see that at the time. Yeah. But immediately when he came in, he was all in. He was ready to learn. And in a lot of ways... He reminded me of like a teenager or, or a young person that's like in their 20s that, that, you know, I want to do something different. I want to do this and I want you to teach me. Which I have to say for his age. So how old was he yeah. at that point? He was, I know he's like 20. I think he was 62. So 62. And so. I was 42, 41. So for a 62 year old to have that mindset of like, yeah, let's try this. Let's do something new. I have learned is not common. No, it's, it's weird. And especially to have that kind of desire with like excitement and energy, mm-hmm. you know, because usually 62, you're like, okay, you're retiring in two years, yeah. like, you know, whatever. So I think it's kind of neat that he had that just like fresh energy and it was amazing. I, so honestly, it's one of the things I admire most about people that are older than me. Yeah. They're older. I say old, older, you know, in their 50, late 50s, 60s, 70s. I've known a few. Yeah. I just admire that. I want to be like that. Absolutely. All right. Go ahead. But he put himself kind of under me. Like I just want him to do a job. He was wanting more than that. He asked me, you know, I need to be mentor. Can you be my mentor? And usually you're not about that life. No. <laughs> or I should say, not initially or quickly. 
I don't know. Well, I don't do counseling. I don't, I'm not right, good. right. I'm not yeah. good with the day to day. You know, if you right. keep coming back and saying, "Okay, I'm struggling with this. Okay, we'll do something different." And then if you don't do something different, why do I gotta keep talking about it? Right. <laughs> but that's just the way I'm wired. I think. Mm-hmm. But for him, it was more than that. He wanted a different kind of life, and he had heard parts of my story from other people, I guess. But uh, he did. He came in. You know, I told him this is what we're gonna do. We're going to institute small groups. We're going to do these profiles, and this is going to be a different place. So, but at the same time, we're going to put out a quality product. We're not going to, you know, not work. We're going to work and mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of like Pastor Bill's original vision, you know. Yeah. Um, came in, got that going. He was my person. He, everything I thought we should do, he was ready to do it. Mm-hmm. If it meant we were going to stay an extra four hours to our day to do a small group or do something with the guys. He was 100% all in. Um, the Foundry has a church that they do there if you're in the program, but it's geared towards people in the program. So they did a Sunday morning, Thursday night deal. And I just kind of started talking to him about, you know, at some point you're going to hear all that because they repeat it. Yeah. <laughs> like Pastor Bill, he has to repeat it because he's got a new, you know, 400 people every year. He has to almost start over. Yeah. So he, Gilbert decided he wanted to do prison ministry, in which I had done prison ministry. But with his background and his crimes and stuff that he had done, I was like, it's going to be hard for you to get, you know, it's going to take a minute for them to, to clear you to do that. But he really had a heart for the guys in prison. He wanted them to know what he had found and how much it had made a difference in his life. So the church that we were going to was Church of the Highlands. They have a phenomenal prison ministry that they do. If you've ever heard me talk about Randy Walker yeah, in season two and three, I guess, I talked about Randy. He was a volunteer that came in with Gil Franks. He started going to Highlands, basically went into one of the prisons, Bib, where he did prison ministry and just did the same thing. It, mm-hmm. it exploded. And, uh, you know, by this time we're in 20 plus correctional institutions in the state of Alabama. Gilbert kind of wanted in on that. So I told him, like, you can sign up for that. You can do all that. But in order for you to join any of their teams, you have to go through, like, the growth track. And he was like, what is that? <laughs> and I said, it's just this, um, it's like it's four meetings, step one, step two, step three, step four. And then when you get to step four, you can join a team. So if you want to join a prison ministry team, you can join that team. Mm-hmm. So he started going through that process. Um through that process, he started going to Church of the Highlands, and not our campus, but Grant's Mill. But when he went to step two, was step two or step three where they asked you to get baptized? Step. It doesn't matter. I don't know. It was one. There's one where they explain to you what baptism means and all that stuff, mm-hmm. and then they offer baptism at the end of the meeting. Yeah. And this is not during a church service at that time. It was like on Sunday night. Yeah. And he was going to step two that Sunday night, and... I knew they were going to ask him to get baptized, and I knew he was going to get baptized. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was concerned that nobody would be there with him. And so it was a sacrifice for me to drive across town on a Sunday night and do all that, especially with a little baby. But I remember when I got there, he was so excited to see me. He's like, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I just want to come. You know, I just want to do step two with you. <laughs> and because I knew, I knew what they were going to do. 
Sure enough, get to the end, he looked over, he said, I think I'm supposed to get baptized. And I said, go. And one of the things I love about our church is they make it easy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people have the conviction or whatever that they want to get baptized, but then, you know, my hair and my clothes and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. They provide all that. Even for yeah. the women, they provide hair, hair dryers and all the things. Mm-hmm. So there was something amazing about watching him get baptized at 62 and really begin a real relationship with Jesus and it was uh it was real it was uh he was like a little kid you know mm-hmm. learning scriptures and you know some of the small groups that we did when we were going through the 12 keys we got to the number six key which was regret and self-pity how you know if you're feeling sorry for yourself it's going to lead you not to anything good but somewhere else right he broke down in the middle of that and started crying his eyes out and he was like if only if I'd have known this 20 years ago I wouldn't be wouldn't put my family through all the things I did. I said, what do you mean? And he said, it was always, you know, I always had a plan. I was always going to do better. But as soon as I got out of prison, I would try and it wouldn't work out. Then I start feeling sorry for myself and then I'd go rob a bank. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. I mean, it's, it's funny off, obviously not funny, but just how, you know, we do something once and I feel like this goes for anybody and then it just becomes your like default thing. Like, Oh, I'm going to like, I did this before. They're like, Oh, I'm not feeling good. I'm going to go get a cheeseburger and fries. Like it's the same kind of, you know, that makes you feel good. Like right away that you feel like you need to have to feel better. But with crime, this is what I've told a lot of young guys that I've worked with. You don't, what you don't understand with crime is every time you commit another one, the penalty goes up. Mm-hmm. So I have one guy that I worked with that got pulled over in Georgia and it was like a little piece of a meth or something and he got six years in prison. I'm like, that's what they do. They looked at your priors. I mean, right, next right. time it's going to be worse than that. I mean, you got to yeah. figure your stuff out. But, uh, he was, uh, I can't even say, like, he was just, he's just an amazing story. Mm-hmm. Well, so when you first started telling me about him <laughs> yeah. and telling me a story, I guess it might probably was the, after the first time he sat down with you. Yeah. And when you tell me someone has been in freaking prison for 32 years mm-hmm. and you start to think about that, I mean, I almost feel like sometimes for you talking about prison and people being in prison and blah, 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 is like, almost normal or not normal but you're a little bit um used to it yeah yeah yeah. and i'm not used to it and so 32 years i'm like let me do some math here okay so when he first went in prison there were no cell phones whatsoever he first went in prison in the 70s in the 70s (laughs) i mean think about that that is insanity yeah and just to think how the world changes and technology and i mean everything how you know working with mr gilbert and then but we also got very involved with our church yeah you want to speak to that uh we just started so i had been going to church of the highlands since i moved to alabama yeah in 2010 but then when we got married and lived in gardendale we started all over i mean we've already been through all that yeah. but at, at um highlands and fultondale which was like starting all over for me plus being married plus having a baby yeah which is like basically i was not the same person at all <laughs> I mean, and, not really, but then we like got involved in small groups. And, and the campus in Fultondale was brand new, so we, yeah. we were in on 
like part of growing a community that was just, it was neat. So it was during that time we really were intentional about every semester we did, we went, attended a small group or helped lead one or whatever. Yeah. And I think it was during that time that I started leading the women's, some people call it the women's ministry, (laughs) but it was actually just like overseeing the women's small group, small groups for that campus, which I loved. I feel like that was an outlet for me. Yeah. You were really. And just like how I'm wired and like my leader and speaking into women, like I really enjoyed that. You did, but you also made quite an impact on, I mean, I have people even to this day. I was in Audi the other day and some lady was looking at me and I was like, hey. (laughs) (laughs) And she said, I listened to your podcast. And I said, oh, awesome. And then I'm like checking out my groceries. But then I always feel like my, I get a Haley in my head that's like, to talk to them, you know, just tell them something. <laughs> tell so, them something. <laughs> Ask them something. <laughs> I was grateful that when I got out there, she was next to me packing her her groceries in the car. I was like, thank you so much for telling me that. I mean, that's encouraging to hear people and, you know, basically things that you would say. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was genuine. <laughs> but then I said, how did you hear about us? And she was like, oh, you know, I was in small groups with Haley. And then she just was singing your praises, girlfriend, and she helped me through this terrible time, you know, when I was, my husband's a firefighter, and I'm trying to learn how to be a stay-at-home mom, and it was very hard, and um, she just helped me through it. <laughs> well, that's neat, and I, that is neat to hear, because I feel like that was one of those things in that role, you know, they talk about the unforced rhythms of grace, like, yeah. that is not hard for me, it doesn't feel like work. No, you I, love said, it. I mean, it wasn't work, but it just comes natural, I feel like I'm just how I'm made, and i really loved it so that's neat yeah it was good stuff but then um i think it was like six months in at the foundry it took a turn that i wasn't expecting because in the beginning i knew that was where i was supposed to be i was happy about it. i was excited you know i'm gonna learn how to do ministry i'm gonna do all these things and you know live out my purpose god bless america you know all things but she was reading about that and then she said as soon as i like announced or said i was pregnant she somehow like knew. Okay, the morning before the small group, she was reading like in the Bible where they talk about a double blessing or double portion, whatever. Yeah. And she felt like the Lord told her like, you know, someone you know is about to get a double blessing. (laughs) But she was just like, okay, just kind of moved on. And then later during the small group, I made the announcement and she said she immediately (laughs) knew that it was me. Yeah. And that I was going to have twins. But, I mean, we didn't know each other that, that well. And but when she I didn't told know her me, at all. But she was so, she's not one to, like, flippantly say things. Like, she's definitely not one that just. Well, I didn't really know her at all. Yeah. So, I think I got home and I, but something in me felt like. She was right. That she was right. But. Do you, you remember know, my response? Then I came home and told you, and you were like, sorry, but I think that Jesus is going to speak to me first about if I'm having twins and not some lady I don't even know. Some random person. I was like, I know, I know. I'm just saying what she said. I mean. But do you remember what I said? What? That's what I remember you saying. I don't. Jesus is not going to tell her. He's going to tell me. Yeah. Like, it's not, it's not on her. It's on me. So like, I'm the daddy of these babies. You still don't believe it. I mean, you know, it's just something in me like, what if she was right? But it wasn't like, it was just a weird thing. But I, then after your response, it kind of made me think like, well, 
Okay. Maybe not. You know, because nothing against her, but just sometimes people mishear her. Yeah. Whatever. But I also knew she wasn't one to just, you know, be well, spouting off stuff like just that. Just to clarify, I didn't really know her. Well, you've already said that like five times. But I know her now. I mean, it's neat now. Yeah. But I remember at the time just thinking... Jesus is not going to tell her I'm having twins. He would tell me I'm having twins. I'm the daddy. Fast forward to the ultrasound. So we went, and for some reason, your mom wanted to go with us. Of course. I mean, and I am so glad she did, especially now. This one. That was such a special moment. I mean, yes and no. (laughs) It was to me. It was very special, but it was very hard for me as a man. And the way that we were struggling financially and just trying to figure out what was next and how we were going to make things work. Um, I feel like some things never <laughs> change. <laughs> True. Anyway. Um, but I mean, but the weight is on me as a daddy. I, yeah, I understand that. But it was the same lady that did Lula May, you know, and now she was a girl and I asked her, can you do it again? And she was like, okay, I'm still a girl. <laughs> She did the ultrasound, and what did you say? You said, is there anything else in there? Okay, so she did the ultrasound. We were in there like, gosh, 30, 40 minutes. I don't know. And she like we're in there a long looked time. at the baby, you know, look, 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 baby, baby, baby. Just like the one baby. And um, and she, she was wrapping she it up. Stop. She didn't stop. She kept probing. But she was about to wrap it up and finish. And I said, this is after 30, 40 minutes, and we were just looking at one baby. Yeah. And I said, so thinking about what Laura said, of course, (laughs) I said, so you're sure there's not two in there? And as soon as I said that, she told me later, the ultrasound tech said that she, right when I said that, she saw, thought she like got a glimpse of a second baby. And she said, but when I said. Well, they can't tell you until they hear the heartbeat. Right. So I said, so you sure there's not another one in there? (laughs) And right when I, like literally within like a second, she was like, well. Actually, I think I see a second baby. <laughs> she heard a second heartbeat. Yeah. Because they were like yeah. really small then. They weren't like yeah, obviously, yeah. big enough to look at. It was just right. like a blob. But when she said there was a second one in there, I almost passed out. <laughs> I mean, I was just like, it was like the fear and the panic of like two. <laughs> like to me, it wasn't. We barely a made it with one. <laughs> to me, it wasn't a blessing. It was like. It wasn't? No. I was like, oh shit. Like, how am I going <laughs> to. <laughs> like I'm seeing my salary out from the foundry. Like, how are we gonna do this? And then you were screaming, you were so excited, and I was just like No, no, I was not screaming. I started laughing. Your mom was screaming. My mom was screaming. Somebody was screaming. And I could not stop laughing. <laughs> I was like, I mean <laughs> the laugh like no matter how hard I tried to stop laughing, I couldn't stop laughing. Yeah. <laughs> and was I was good. crying too. Like But then yeah. immediately you called your sister. Abby FaceTimed your sister Abby and you were like, Hey, <laughs> you were like, and there's some kind of competition between you two as sisters. I, I don't know why you say that, but just because of what y'all say. Anyway, I held up two fingers to Abby on the FaceTime. Yeah, but I was watching the FaceTime and Abby was like, no. She was like, no. <laughs> no. I was like, yeah. There's no way. Two, <laughs> like you're having twins, like you're finding a way to beat me. Because <laughs> yeah, at that time, Abby had, what, six? Yeah, kids? six, yeah. Um, but then your mom was like, all right, let's go have a nice dinner. <laughs> and I remember just, we went to Alibaba's or whatever that 
not Alibaba's. It was uh, it's a restaurant in right outside of St. Vincent's in Avondale. It's, yeah, I know what you're talking. I can see it in my head, but I can't. It's across from Jack Brown's. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. fashioned after. Uh, Lucille Ball and her husband is at a Cuban place. Mm -hmm. And I just remember being in such fear and such panic about how am I going to go from one to three? Like, how can we, like, finance it? (laughs) What are we going to do? Sweet boy, you want a drink? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I had a couple drinks. I I actually had two or three Cuban drinks. It was a Cuban restaurant. I don't remember that. Yeah. Well, the uh, Ricky Ricardo. Lucille Ball's husband, he's Cuban. Okay. So anyways, that's that's beside the point. Yeah. But I just remember everybody being so excited, and I was just in such fear and such panic and not like, how am I going to do, how am I going to go from one kid to three? And then, I'm like, it'll all work out. It's going to be fine. But uh, anyways, we're having twins. We come back from vacation. That's when they told us that, you remember that? They told us what the sexes were. Yes. It was right after we came back from vacation. So I was aggravated with all that. I remember because my mom was in the hospital. Oh, no. Abby was in the hospital. She was having Teague. Teague. And we literally, my mom was really struggling. She was getting worse. So She was with us. We went from one end of the hospital Abby having tea, wheelchaired my mom down to the other end of the hospital to have the ultrasound to see what I was having. Okay, time out. We went to have the ultrasound, and then we went over to where Tika was being born. Oh, Because yeah. Abby had emergency. Oh, birth. right, right, right. Okay, yeah. So we go in, same scenario, same gal, same everything we had with Lula. And she did her little gel on the stomach, rub, 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 and then she said, Baby A, it's a boy. And I don't know, I just screamed. <laughs> I remember your mom said that was the most beautiful scream I've ever heard in my life. And I don't know, for me, it was just like, I got a son, you know, and not that I don't love my daughter. And I, I mean, I think I we've already covered that, but just having my boy. And, but I felt like it was more than that. It was a promise to me when yeah. I was in prison that I'm going to have a son. His name is going to be Judah James. And it just, I just screamed, you know, with joy. <laughs> But then I was going to say, I do like you said, I'm glad he said it was more because I do think it was like a promise fulfilled that he gave you like literally 20 years before that. Yeah. I mean, you're not young, you know, you're like 40 something. That's 42. not old. You're always old. Well, I'm just feel. saying like he gave it to you a long time, like dec- literally decades, plural, decade, plural ago. And not even that. I mean, I had almost married two other girls that were like, I don't know about that name. And I was like, if you marry me and I have a son, that's his name. I don't even care. That's already his name. You sound like He's already a prick named. when you talk like that. Anyway. So, so like what? A prick. Well, no, you got girls that are bitchy. You want to call me a prick? I mean... <laughs> I didn't say you were. I said you sound like that. Like, you going to marry me? Well, no, I remember Shauna telling me one time, we can't name a baby Judah James. I'm afraid they'll make fun of him. And I was like... Why would they make fun of him? Because it's three J's. And I was like, how stupid are you sounding right now? Okay, okay you're sounding really bitter about things that didn't even happen. Okay. No, it's actually funny now because I think I look at Judah James. Everybody loves Judah James. I mean, so. I love the name immediately, but yeah. But it took her like 45 minutes because baby B wouldn't show itself. <laughs> Or well, itself. we know now it was a boy. Yeah, but he kept he was had his leg over his 
wiener, I guess. <laughs> Call it that. And it was just like it was excruciating. And it was mm-hmm. like she was like prodding and poking and trying to get baby B to do what baby B was going to do. And finally, it's a boy. Yeah. And immediately you change your mind on the name. And that really pissed me off. Okay. My drive to work, I worked in Bessemer at the family's house. My drive was 30 minutes, and so I had a lot of time to and fro to process and think and pray and stuff like that. And I remember right after that, I was I was driving to work, and I was just, not just aggravated, but almost like, I felt like betrayed. Like, like we had, a, we came up with the name, now she's trying to change the name, and she's come, like coming up with all these scenarios, and the only reason she's trying to change the name is because she th- thought it was a girl, and she was wrong. Just like I was wrong the first time, but I didn't. I didn't renege. I went with Lula May, and I'll never forget it. I was on sixty-five, getting off on uh, fifty-nine, headed towards Bessemer, and I felt. I said, "Jesus, I just feel like his name is already royal. It's already royal grant." And he said, "It is. And if you will not try to make her do something, mm-hmm. then that will be his name." That's good stuff right there. Don't try to make her. It was hard. <laughs> Well, I felt like we'd already settled it. Why don't we have to settle it? That's like dripping with wisdom. Why don't we have to resettle it if we've already settled it? But I did. I said, okay, I'll uh, leave that alone. (laughs) And I will trust you. Jesus, I trust you. (laughs) And like two weeks later, you went on a girl's trip to the beach. Yeah. And you came back and... I was keeping Lulu, but I was asleep when you got back. We were taking naps. I'll you, speak for myself here. I went on this. You woke me up? I went on this beach trip, and I do feel like the Lord spoke very clearly to me that I needed to honor you and what you wanted. I don't feel like it's, it's not just what I want. It's what we decided. Well, okay, stop taking away from the moment. Okay. Of what the Lord, I didn't do that cry. to you. But no, I felt like the Lord told me to like honor you as a dad and let you have the final say. I did. So you came, you woke me up and you told me that and I was like, I already knew. (laughs) You literally, I don't know. I don't even know. No, I just felt like that was already his name. You give me like no credit for listening to Jesus. Yes, I do. No, you're just like, I already knew. You just sound like really at it. No, I was just waiting on you to tell me and that it would be settled. Mm -hmm. And it was. So that was that. We woke up. It was early in the morning. They said, we're going to take mom first. You follow. I went down the hall. They put scrubs on me. They put a hat on me, gloves, all things. They're like, you wait out here till we tell you to come in. They called me in. You were like laid out. <laughs> and I remember being in a panic when I walked in because my friend John Barry, all his babies, I think all of them were delivered C-section. No, not all of them. Well, one, yeah. a yeah. couple of them. Um, he said that he looked down into when they cut her open and he said, yeah, I saw her kidneys and her liver and all that stuff. And I was like, I ain't needing to see all that. Like, <laughs> that's not for me to see. I'm not looking. <laughs> so I was in a bit of a pain. I don't want to see that kind of stuff. But they took me behind like this piece of plastic and you were, I don't know if you're sedated. Or oh, I was not or, sedated. <laughs> you don't numb. remember. I was completely not, which was, I had been in so much pain and so uncomfortable. So yes. long, like my back and then, you know, the 
drugs that they gave me or whatever. Like, I could not feel anything. It was very surreal. I was surreal. laying flat. No, it was the weirdest thing. And I thought, because you're basically, <laughs> I'm basically, like, paralyzed. Yeah. But I'm laying flat. But if I had laid like that yeah. before, I mean, I couldn't have. The pain would have been too you much. Laid. It was almost like something is wrong because I don't <laughs> feel anything. And I know I should feel this. I remember there was a nurse in there that was so sweet. She was like, give me your phone. I'm going to take all the pictures for you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Um, but it was scary because it was like an operating room almost. It wasn't like well, it what, is an operating room. What we went through with Lula, yeah. but the next thing I know, they're holding up a little Greek baby. <laughs> <laughs> He's screaming his head off, and they were like, "This is Baby A." So I was like, "No, this that's is not Judah. That's not Baby A. That's Judah James Jones." And he looked just like me mm-hmm. when he was born. And then the second one came out. And, and then his cry, actually everyone in their laugh, because his cry was like another level. Ten times the amount of Judah. He was like, Wah! And I was like, that's Royal Grant. But he looked just like you. Yeah. Which was weird, because as they, you know, three or four months later, Judah turned into looking like you, and Royal turned into looking like me. It was so weird. But I remember walking back down the hall, your mom was there, my mom, I think there were some other family people there, just thinking, this was too easy. Like, we're rolling back down the hall with two babies. <laughs> well, when we, when they rolled them back on, they were on my chest. This is what was different. I, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but because, you know, anyone who's gone through labor, woman who's, like, pushed and done all those things, yeah, the exhaustion level is, like, something you've never, I don't care what you've done in your life, you have not felt that unless you've been in labor. You don't know. But with the boys, you know, you don't have that necessarily I mean it's weird and you're but like I could feel all of the emotion like I was so present like mentally and emotionally yeah to feel them like on me I just like <laughs> wept it was like this it was crazy it was however thing I was doing I told you I, I said I feel like my blood pressure's up and I can't breathe like I just felt like I don't know it was like all the work that we've been doing everything has gotten twisted and convoluted and none of it made any sense yeah and for him it was like why couldn't if you got a problem with me why not just tell me yeah that was the biggest thing of I was in the middle of 21 days of prayer I got a text from Micah Andrews that he wanted to see me in his office it was actually day one of 21 Days of Prayer, or it was that first Monday of the very beginning. Yeah. Well, they call this Sunday. Which, ironically, that is this week that we're sitting in now. Yeah, today's it's day the one. the same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's kind of crazy. It was uh, it was weird. But during that, I got a text from Mike Andrews that said, can I see you in my office at 1 o'clock? And I came straight home, and I told you, I said, this is not good news, because if they're doing an investigation on me, they're not going to find anything on me on anything like that but they're gonna give it the week and then i'm gonna learn my lesson i'm gonna turn in my report and i'm gonna be more politically correct if he's texting me to meet him today it's only been three days right four days so this is not good news and i remember you were like well just you know be encouraged whatever and i remember just thinking and telling you now's not a good time for me to lose my job like i don't you know, insurance and, you know, everything would be all messed up. And you were like, yeah. <laughs> it's not, not I mean, is time. there ever a good time to lose a job? I, I mean, know, but, but we were in the process of trying to buy a house. We needed a bigger house yeah. and everything. It just seemed like everything was going in the direction the way it was supposed to go. And this would have really thrown a wrench into all of it. Mm-hmm. And I was still reeling a little bit from my mom's yeah. dying. Like, I remember I was still in a very tough, like, 
reclusive season for me anyway. Well, it only been four or five time. months. Yeah. So everything was still fresh. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seemed like everything was happening during that time. Lulu was starting school. Um, your mom had passed away, like dealing with her state and all the things we were doing with that, trying to sell our house, trying to find a house, moving, you know, figuring all that out, trying to make sure we didn't move outside of a certain school zone because of Lula's school. She was starting kindergarten. Yeah. And he called me in. I went in, sat down. They were looking like they were, I don't know what they were looking like. They were in mourning or something. It was a weird vibe. vibe. So I sit down and uh, Micah, who's the CEO, he's got like, kind of like got his head down, like not really looking at me. And Daryl was clearly the one that had taken over this meeting. And he like looked at me and said, we've just spent the last all weekend trying to find a way to keep your job. And so I said, okay. I mean, I know I messed up and I, you know, I'm sorry. He said, we've been trying to find a way to keep your job, but according to the lawyers that work for the HR company, there's nothing we can do to save you. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, well, we have uh, documented evidence of sexual harassment. And I was like, by, by who? <laughs> And he said that he had a complaint against me for sexual harassment, and he had video evidence. And I was like, no, you don't. I mean, there's no way. I mean, I play about a lot of things. I don't play like that. I do not play like that. Um, so this was on top of the... Yeah, this was just one more thing. It was just, but yeah. it was just like, it was so bizarre to me, the, the way he was saying that to me. And I know myself, I don't play sex. I don't play sex. I don't play sexually. I don't play like that. I mean, I don't. I know it. Yeah. And then he said, well, we have video evidence to prove it. And I said, you ain't got no video evidence on me harassing nobody about nothing. There ain't no way. And he said, well, we're not going to be able to share that with you. Um, We're not going to be able to share that with you because uh, we have to protect the victim. And I don't know if he saw the rage in my face or whatever, but I slammed my fist down on the table. I said, you're crazy as hell. You think I'm going to get in my car and ride back home and tell my wife that I'm losing my job for sexual harassment? without you telling me what the hell you're talking about. And so he jumps up and runs out, and then he comes back, and they did some whispering and came back, and he said, well, they said we could tell you. All of a sudden. (laughs) Well, they knew they were going to have to tell me. I mean, I don't know if this was part of some kind of bigger plot or game or whatever. I don't know what was going on. But I was totally baffled. I mean, because it's like somebody telling you something that you did that you know you didn't didn't do or didn't even come close to doing. Like, there ain't no way. There ain't no way. I don't know what you're talking about. There ain't no way. Okay, so they came back to tell you. Yeah, and he said it was Jeremy, the guy. <laughs> yes, the guy that worked for your... He was, he was the food service manager. And I had to force him to to tell the truth and to release the video evidence. And I was like, "What are you ta- like? What are you talking about?" And uh, he pulled a thing out and read it that I had was making fun of his man titties. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I started laughing. And I was like, "You know what? You got me. So that sexual harassment. You got me." But this was the funniest part. This is where it went back to. This, Jer- and this is the only thing. This Jeremy guy. What- no, but like the sexual harassment, because that is pretty heavy. It's stupid. So the only thing that was the sexual harassment that was the complaint is this 
man titties. Right. Okay, but this is where that started. We were friends. We were more than coworkers. We were friends. We were in at the foundry. You had to go through a lot of boring meetings where you had to just sit and sit and sit and sit. And we were in a meeting together about two or three months before that. And it was one of those boring meetings where you're losing your mind and you're trying to stay awake. And he had his phone turned over, and there was a mountain on the back of the phone, and it said Ruffner Mountain. And I said, what does that mean on your phone? And he said, oh, that's Ruffner Mountain. I grew up on Ruffner Mountain. I'm an I'm a outdoorsman. I'm a, uh, I'm a mountain climber and a kayaker. And I said, you are? I didn't know that. And he was like, oh, yeah, I climb mountains. I'm a hiker. And I said, hey, is that how you grew your titties? <laughs> Climbing mountains. Oh, it was a joke. He could talk uh, to me like that, too. Uh, I mean, well, let because, me just clarify, though, that this happened before the other complaints. That had been like three or four months Yeah, before. it happened way back, yeah. So, but this was during the time of with the Snapchat videos where you could do filters and make yourself into something else. Yeah. So, I was playing one day with the Snapchat videos, and there was one of a cop that could be eating donuts. Mm-hmm. And so I made myself into a cop, and I was eating donuts. And I said, hey, this is how I grow my titties, climbing mountains. <laughs> but it was a, it's because he was saying that he was an athlete and, a, you know, he was all this, but his body didn't say that. But it wasn't that I was making fun of him, just, like, making fun of people. He was my friend. He made fun of me, too. So it was a, it was a banter, it was a joke, and it was ridiculous. And it was like dug up. I and they used that Snapchat video as their <laughs> as their video evidence. And I brought it home because I wanted you to read it. But there was somewhere during that time, I think it was the next day, Jesus said, I want you to save that letter, put it in your journal, and one day you're going to thank me for that. And I was like, ooh, I mean, I can't. I can't even. <laughs> but it was uh, it was a battle. And, and when you're in the middle of something like that, it's easy to go around and try to find people to tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. But I felt like there were only one or two people that could really speak into my life during that season because nobody, you know, people would get scared. Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Right. What are you going to do? Like right. my mom, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm like, I'm going to do this 21 days of prayer. Yeah. And then Jesus is going to tell me what's next. Mm-hmm. And... So that's hard, too, to, like, tell people that because people think you're stupid. Yeah. Um, but then on day 18, it was 18 or 19, it was towards the end, I came out and I just flipped open my phone and, lo- and looked on Facebook and some friends of ours. Okay, were- pause. Before you get into this, like, that, during that, I think it was the second week of the 21 Days of Prayer. Yeah. On Facebook, I mean, randomly looking, I saw this couple that we knew that um, from our church were selling their house. And I knew the house because they had a little girl a couple months before the boys were born. Mm-hmm. And we brought them over a meal. And so, you know, I knew it happened house. They had done small groups and she had been in her, she came to um, a small group. I think it was her very first small group with me and my mom Yeah, like prior to that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I saw they were selling their house and I was like, oh, that's a neat house. And I messaged them her. I didn't know this. Yeah, on um, Facebook. And I was like, I'm just curious, like, how much are you selling your house for? Because we didn't have a price. Yeah. And when she messaged me back the price, I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Anyway. Um, I mean, I'd never said anything to you. I didn't tell you. I mean, I really was just curious. Like you said, my wheels are always always turning no matter what, even if somebody says no, it's impossible. Yeah. But it's not like I was thinking anything. But when she said the price, I was like, oh, that's a bummer. Never mind. And then I, you know, I never say anything to you because you had very specifically told me, do not well, even just don't be looking. That, don't put that on me right now. So, yeah, so I didn't say anything. Okay, so now fast forward to the next week. 
Yeah, I came out, and I don't look at Facebook a lot, but sometimes, like, if I'm trying to just distract myself, I, like, picked up my phone, I matched on the Facebook, and it was the very first, like, story on there. It was uh, Tony Mason and, and Carla, people that we know, and they said, we've decided to sell our house, we're moving a little more, we want a little more country. And it was kind of like a shock, because they like, totally remodeled their house, and it was just, it was their house. It was a neat house. And it was almost like magnetically. I felt like I was supposed to ride down the road that they live on, which is Pinehurst Drive in Gardendale, which was a road that you always said you loved. It was only a mile past our house. So I was like, I'll ride by there. I don't know why I'm by there. But when I turned on to Pinehurst Drive, I never knew that it was so long. I've heard you talk about that road in Gardendale like it was some... Well, I like the trees. It was very mature trees. And... <laughs> yeah, it's an older neighbor. It's not cookie yeah. cutter. Everybody built yeah. their own houses. But I mean, there's like 30, 40 houses houses on that road and as I was riding down I just felt like it was the weirdest one of the weirdest things I've ever experienced I felt like I could see my kids growing up on that road with other kids (laughs) it was weird but there's like a bend in the road when you get down there's several bends but like on the first bend where it kind of curves around is where the mason's house was and as I rode by I looked over at the house and Jesus said that's your house and so I was like uh (laughs) Do you know that I just got fired? <laughs> I mean, that can't be my house. I mean, what what are you saying? Like, how could that even, how could I, I, there's no way I could swing that. There's no, there's nothing we could do to like make that happen. And he said, that's your house. Just trust me. And I came home and I told you that. And I was like, it feels crazy, but we still don't need to talk about this till after because we had two more days left. Yeah. But he told me, that's your house. Well, you, yeah. When you came up and told me, I was like, of course excited. But then <laughs> then I was also like, well, he didn't tell you when. So it could be a minute until we. <laughs> because, I mean, you know, I just didn't see the path, a path to how that was possible for yeah. Any time in the near future. Yeah. So, um, me neither. Yeah. It was bizarre. <laughs> so we said, you're like, but anyway, forget I said that. And we're still meeting at Panera <laughs> on Saturday, on day 21. So we get to Panera, we brought index cards, and we really just sat down and put everything out on the table. And you were trying to be excited, and I was scared and nervous and. just felt like an opportunity. Well, the way I wrote it down in my journal that day was that Jesus said, step out in faith, make the plan, put everything on the table, and I need you to trust me because this is a blank slate. But then he said, in this new season, things are not going to come to you by trying to figure it out or even like coming up with a strategy or a plan. Everything in this new season is going to come through relationships and through people that you know and that you've developed relationships with, which for me was like, okay, I don't even know what that means. told him that we were starting a new business because we had decided on that. He said, well, James, you know, when you start your own business, you have to wait two years. So it's, you have to have two years of tax returns and all that stuff before you can really get anything from right. this. So I was like, yes, I did know that. So I was like, you were asking all these questions and I was thinking, I'm, this is a waste of my time. But this was one of the most fascinating things about following Jesus. You don't know what to do before. It's when you're in the middle of it and he tells you what to do and then it works. And you're like, oh, I was hit. You know, this is insanity. This is a crazy day. So... 
you told the guy you knew what to do. I said, I know what to do. I need to go have a quick meeting and we'll be back. Right. So we got in the car. I remember we were sitting in the car. Because you were like, what are you going to do? And that's when I was, I got really, I mean, I was obviously (laughs) on board with talking to Hobie. We'd already decided that at Panera. Yeah. But you're like right then and there, like, and you told me kind of like. Let's go straight to Hobie's office. And ask if we, he would take a chance on us, basically. Roll the dice on With this thing. Our business. Which, okay, but pause. He didn't even know we were starting a new business yet. No, we hadn't told you. decided on Saturday and this was Monday we so haven't told him but you were saying so step one tell him we've decided to start I said a new we business to, I said we have to get in the car and go to Hobie's office right now and you said <laughs> no no like we have to have a better plan we have to have a, a detail written out plan Hobie's too conservative he's doesn't he doesn't gamble no and I was like just get in the car let me do the talk and so I texted Hobie said hey hey <laughs> Trying to be all relaxed via text. Yeah. You available for James and I to pop by to chat with you about something? <laughs> so. It was a crazy meeting. Yeah. So we go in his office <laughs> and he's like, mm, what's up? Because I don't know if I've ever even been to Hobie's office before that. <laughs> I, mean, I used to go to his house. I mean, I'd been to his office, but not like for a meeting. Um, he's like sitting behind his desk like, okay. <laughs> and... I did most of the talking. I told him, you know, this is what we decided we want to do. Which was very difficult for me to sit back and let you do most of the talking. Because let's be honest, I'm usually the one that does the talking. Yeah. For, you know, anything except podcasts. <laughs> well, I felt like I was supposed to do the talking. Yeah. Because I needed him to hear. Right. Like, this is what we want to do. This is why. Mm-hmm. And this is how we can help you. And then I threw the wrench in there. And also, we found this house. <laughs> And obviously, I would charge you to come in once we get our business going, but I need to be on your payroll. <laughs> right. Like, can we make that as the way? Yeah. So I need you to hire me. Yeah. Because we hadn't even had a business license. We weren't ready for all that. And I needed to be like now, like September the 1st. It can't be after September. Because that's what he told me. You can't go a month. <sighs> so he leaned back. He got tears in his eyes. <laughs> and he said, yeah, I'll take a shot on you. <laughs> I'll put you on my payroll. So this is Monday at 5.30 when 21 Days of Prayer ended on a Saturday. (laughs) We decided to start a business that Saturday and had an offer accepted on a house by Monday and you were on a payroll starting September 1st. Talk about a season flip. That was insane. I still, I don't, I feel like, I don't know if like we're communicating it. I guess we are like in a way to grasp like how it was insane that was for us. Crazy. It so, was, it was one of the craziest time and I've been through some crazy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and to, and mind you, like with the business stuff, I mean, we had like unpacked it and like hashed it out, like, you know, but truly we didn't really have any details. Who knows what they're doing when they start a business you think you know yeah. i feel like it's like a kid i feel like it's like you can liken it to a kid growing up like <laughs> that you have no clue what you're doing at first we and didn't. <laughs> you think you do you think you know everything mm-hmm. that you're gonna do and like this is the path this is what we're gonna do and then like as you start walking it out you're like oh wait a minute i don't know actually what i'm doing <laughs> and i need to like what are we doing now and i don't know i just thought that's how it with the business part but we but but lo and behold, though, we had launched. 
Yeah. Um, And obviously I take no credit away. I mean, the Lord like ordered those steps, but I am so grateful for Hobie for really being the piece, the catalyst that was able to kind of put stuff in motion um, for us, for Team Jones, and then also for this house, like, because all those things had to like fall into place literally in the moment that it fell into place. It did, but in for the, us to be sitting here right now recording. But in the meantime, I, I, we went to work with him. But um, crazy time. Yeah. And then we moved in in October. And it was just the weirdest time of just like knowing I'm knowing I'm supposed to be doing something. I don't know what it is. And I was out actually cutting the grass. I had several yard projects in our new house during the quarantine and stuff because that's, you know, I feel like I connect with God when I'm in nature. Um, but I was cutting the grass, wasn't really praying. I was just thinking. And I felt like, again, like Jesus asked me a question. And I don't fully remember exactly how it went, but like what was the platform of communication here. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, it used to be newspapers and books and parchments and, you know, and then I got to thinking into the 20th century and it was the radio then it was TV, media, movie, all the stuff. And he said, well, what's the number one way that people communicate right now in 2020? And I said, I don't know, the news, like internet news. I mean, I don't know, Twitter, Google. And clear as a bell, he said the platform for 2020 is a podcast. And I was like, um, okay, but like for me, like how I don't even know what that is. Like I tried to listen to one podcast one time, but I didn't couldn't like figure it out. And it was another one of those things where I knew. I knew that's what we're supposed to do. That's the next thing. And you came in and told me that and it was clear as a bell. And I knew it was him talking to me because the way it, it didn't just happen. It wasn't like booty booty or magic it was like a process there were questions and it had, everything that i've been through in the past year or so had gotten us to that point yeah so well when you told me that i was like okay i mean i've never listened to a podcast but <laughs> i hadn't either and then you like to me it was just like i mean i believed you but i just was like obviously you're taking the lead on this because i don't know anything yep. about it and you're the one that feels like we're supposed to do it mm-hmm. so then like a couple of weeks later like no i really feel like i'm like okay well do what you need to do to start it and i'll be there tell me where to it be wasn't a couple of weeks it was a couple of days a couple of days okay yeah anyway so eventually you got everything, on amazon and bought a microphone everything fell into place so fast it was like okay where do we do it we have a safe room downstairs that it's like totally underground so there's no sound mm-hmm. i got on amazon got on google did some research okay how do you do a podcast what do you need uh i think i spent two hundred dollars on some microphones when the microphones came in it was only a couple of days later found out i needed another something to hook it up to yeah that came two days later then i was like i don't have a, anything to do it like i don't have a desk or anything in here like i gotta have something to like attach the microphone to and I went out in the garage, and we had your dad's office furniture, and there was a round table that honestly had gotten Beat up. Like water damage from yeah. being in our garage to the other house. Sanded it down, put a fresh coat of lacquer on it, and we are ready to go. <laughs> it was kind of crazy the way that we just randomly you just yeah. kept saying. So I was like, well, let's do it. Uh, yeah, since we have an editor, let's go. <laughs> let's go. So we started taping in October of 2020. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. We planned to launch the Straight Out of Prison podcast the first Tuesday in November, mm-hmm. but that ended up being the 2020 election day. And I said, we don't want to start on that day. Yeah. <laughs> and thank God we yeah. didn't. The disaster that was. Yeah. But then the next Tuesday, we launched. We dropped our first episode. And we've been going ever since. Mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of It's really during, but during the process of doing this, like I've, we both kind of realized like this is the thing that we love. Yeah. And and, you know, here we are. Yeah. I mean, I do feel like especially you have a gift for, I mean, you know, you're not that great speaking in crowds or like people in general, <laughs> not that great. but like behind the, like a microphone storytelling in this way, you really do seem to come alive. There's been so many times we've been recording. I'm just like, wow, like I am like watching someone do what they're supposed to be doing. It feels like that. That was really neat. It's crazy. So, um. Well, I get awkward in public. Um, like if you're standing up in front of a bunch of people, I get awkward and I look at people's faces and I've had people tell me if you're speaking, don't look at their faces, but it's like, it's hard not to when they're looking at you. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And there's some kind of level of, uh, comfort in doing it this way where you can really just be transparent and be honest and be yourself. I I think you're more comfortable and it takes you a while to get comfortable around people when you can... But in this scenario, you're comfortable with me, comfortable with yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but it's been really more over to see, I think, the gift for me in it has been, I've gotten to have a front row seat, like, watching you, like, step in to discover yeah. this. Definitely and then to, like, walk in it. And it's just, it has been, it has been really cool. It's actually. been a fun ride. Yeah. It has. And guys, we don't want it to end. So this is where we're going to end our story. Um, for I think now. For now. Twenty years from now, and <laughs> do more. We can do that. But uh, we've got some exciting stuff coming up in the next season. We we definitely want to keep the podcast going, but we're just going to be telling other stories. And we're not going to skip a beat either. So oh, yeah. but don't don't be thinking we're taking a break or anything like that. So yeah, don't. T- we'll be doing. Uh, I always do a best of every season, so we'll be doing it like a best of this season. And then I may do a best of just the whole podcast, and then um, we'll start the next season. Yeah. Here we go. Stay tuned. But really, guys, this has been, like you said, a discovery for us, and it you guys' support and affirmations and words and... Questions. Yes. It would be all nothing. It yeah. would be nothing without you guys. Yeah. If, if it weren't for the responses that we were getting to you, the feedback and the connections, and just just the way this has opened so many doors for us, it would just be us rattling off information. Yeah. But this has been amazing. It's been life changing. And we're excited to see what's next. So thank you guys for allowing this to be a part of our story. Yes. Um, so telling through telling it. So more to come. We love you guys. All right, guys. We'll see, see, you, see soon. you soon. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, we hope you enjoy the podcast. Written and produced by the Team Jones Company. Yours truly, James and Haley Jones. If you're interested in advertising with us, head over to teamjones.co and click the Join Forces button. We'll get in touch and consider whether or not it's a good fit. Schedule us for your podcast or to be considered as a guest on our platforms. Contact us by heading over to teamjones.co and clicking the Join Forces button.
And hey guys, for exclusive content, download the Patreon app and look up Team Jones Media. You'll find many levels of subscriptions, but all levels have one feature. You'll get early access to all of our podcast platforms and they're completely free from ads. The Straight Out of Prison podcast, the For Real Real, and There in the Gap. Other ways to support us is by liking and sharing the podcast. Or follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and more. I'll also put all that in the show notes. There's really too much to mention here. Thank you for your support, and thank you for being a part of our story. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed the podcast. Written and produced by the Team Jones Company. Yours truly, James and Haley Jones. If you're interested in advertising with us, head over to teamjones.co and click the Join Forces button. We've redesigned our media kit with some exciting new details. If you'd like more information about being a sponsor, email me, Haley, Haley at teamjones.co. It's not .com. The best way to support us is by telling your friends and family about the podcast. Other ways to support us is by liking and sharing the podcast and giving us a review. Well, as long as you think we did good. (laughs) Or you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and more. Thank you, thank you, thank you guys for all your support, all your encouragement, and thank you for being a part of our story. All right, guys, y'all show some love to the sponsors of the Straight Out of Prison podcast. Our friend Keely Brown runs her family-owned HVAC Home and Commercial Services. Is your system ready for the summer? Schedule a system checkup or reprogram your thermostat. They offer residential and commercial, at home or at work. They really do what they say, and they say what they do. Our family serving your family has been their core value since day one. Their founder and owner, Mr. Robert Holland, made sure the foundation of home and commercial services was and is integrity. Now, remember, Haley, we, we catered an event last December where he was a part of the group that we were feeding. But it was interesting to learn that when he was a young man, when he first started in the HVAC business, Mr. Holland actually got in trouble with, for not adding new parts that the people didn't need. And they were like, why didn't you sell the parts? And he was like, because I could fix them. And they were like, no, no, you're, you're, you're doing it wrong. Like, you just got to put new parts. And he was like, but they didn't need new parts. And it bugged him so much that he went out and started his own business. And that's the foundation of home and commercial services. And we can attest to that personally. I mean, they've done so much stuff for us. It's crazy. I love that story. And I think it speaks to, obviously, his integrity and what he's built his business on that integrity. Right now, the most economical service they offer is their annual residential service agreement. For $150, you'll get two annual checkups, and that's for one system. If if it's an additional system, it's 25% off. Anyways, the annual contract includes priority service, normal rates for after-hour service, 10% discount on any repairs, and a 5% discount on any new installations. It's a good deal. 
especially with the heat of the summer coming. Home and Commercial Services works on all name brands of heating and air conditioning units, gas furnaces, heat pumps, walk-in coolers, and smart thermostats. No job is too big or too small. Call or text Keely at 205-798-0635. Or you can email at office at hollandhcs.com. You can look up Holland Home and Commercial Services on Instagram for daily tips and more. Or you can check out their website, hollandhcs.com. We have some amazing friends and supporters of the podcast, Lynn and Debbie Hurst, who own Hurst Towing and Recovery in Fultondale and Hayden, Alabama. They serve the Jefferson, Blunt, and surrounding counties. They tow light and heavy-duty vehicles, and they're always there to help. We wouldn't call anybody else. We would never call anybody else, and that's a fact. Would you like to work for an amazing company that treats their employees like family? The Hearst are hiring. Full and part-time positions. Give them a call today. Hearst Towing is there 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. They've been in our area since January of 1987. They have a heart to serve and they love making an impact in the communities they grew up in. The Hearst definitely make a difference in our world. And they have definitely made a difference in our lives. Dispatchers are always ready to receive calls at 205-631-8697. That is 205-631-TOWS. T-O-W-S. <laughs> you, get, you get me every time I, with the toes. <laughs> <laughs> or check out their website at hearsttowing.com. Now, y'all know James from the podcast, but he also is an amazing cook and private chef. I can attest to that personally. I've had many years of experience in food, just working in, managing, and even owning a couple restaurants. One of his greatest passions is preparing delicious food. You know, if somebody's going through something or through a hard time and you don't know what to do, you can always cook for them. Head over to chefjameskjones.com to join our email list. Once you do that, you can stay updated on everything that we're doing. 